Good evening and welcome to The Midnight Owl. I'm your host, Tim. The Midnight Owl is a proud member of the Not After 30 podcast network. The Midnight Owl is your friend that's always willing to clean up the Tim Hortons cups from the passenger seat. While you're halfway in the car trying to judge where you can actually sit between the debris, the whole time I'm apologizing, pretending like this isn't the first time we've had this exact same interaction, Honestly, I think we're both more comfortable living in this quiet lie. The Midnight Owls, an entertainment podcast. This week's script was written by Kat and tailored by me, your humble host. This week's episode is a mythical beast we all know. The Unicorn. A truly wise man never plays leapfrog with the unicorn, Thomas Bannock. The world is a big, scary place. This episode marks the fourth or fifth week into a new decade. It's hard to get excited for things with so much bad in the world. Maybe I am just feeling the weight of this year's New Year's resolutions. Maybe it's looking into a new decade as I get deeper into my 30s. Maybe having found the audacity to get in front of the mic and record something, no matter how good or bad it was, has made me accountable. If I ever go back and I listen and think about where I was when I said for the 30th time I'd quit smoking, all the meals I cut out while dieting and haven't lost a pound. There's so much pressure to have goals, even the unattainable ones, the ones we call dreams. I don't know about you, but I need things to look forward to. All of last year's resolutions I did fairly well with, so I will keep going with them this year with one additional goal. I will set up adventures at least once a month, budget dependent. Maybe I'll go to a podcasting class or a meetup. Maybe I will go skiing with my sister. The only concrete plan I have so far is April 9th, 2020. I will be celebrating National Unicorn Day. Mental Floss magazine author Dave Gonzalez wrote an article titled 10 Magical Facts About Unicorns. In this article, the fact I found most credible of all was his own introductory assertion that just because unicorns are mythical doesn't mean they haven't had a real impact on history. This is the premise of this episode. However mythical they may be, Unicorns exist for real in cultures around the world. Some may argue that unicorns are a matter of imagination, but the reality remains that unicorns serve a storytelling purpose from our past. Unicorns inspire a variety of symbolism, therefore they are sacred to the folks to whom the lore belongs. This really strikes a chord with me. Superman, Luke Skywalker, and Jaws have all impacted my life more than a lot of quote-unquote real people. A unicorn is just the OG mythic being. It is real because its existence has been a part of a story that informed a thought, that shaped a belief, that rippled throughout the world for hundreds of years. It becomes more of a question of, are they physical? Unicorns are something special regardless of their existence or extinction or the third and possibly saddest state that they've only ever been imagined. 
Who wants to live in a world without unicorns? It's like a Toronto Maple Leaf fan not getting out his crayons on September 3rd and drawing the parade route because this year, they are really going to win the cup. Unicorns appear in art throughout humanity's history worldwide, from early Mesopotamia to ancient Asia to the Middle Ages of Europe to the contemporary memes of the internet era. Depictions of unicorns vary depending on the time and region in which the art appeared. Examples are coveted worldwide, such as 15th century tapestries on display at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. At present, social media is rife with adorable pink and purple cartoon unicorns that shit rainbows and piss glitter, often accompanied by cute sayings that inspire us to like, tag, and share these images. For example, Always be yourself. Unless you can be a unicorn, then always be a unicorn. As long as we can dream, there will be unicorns. Be a unicorn in a field of horses. And for those sassy moods, I wish I was a unicorn so I could stab idiots with my head. A little darker, but honestly, who can forget the viral flash animation, Charlie the Unicorn? If you're not familiar with it, it's still online, you have to go check it out. But before the unicorn became the lovable cartoon characters we now recognize as commonplace appearing on sweaters, coffee mugs, keychains, etc., what do we know about the evolution of unicorn lore, historically and globally? Interestingly, unicorns made international news as recently as December 2012, when the internet was abuzz with the news of North Korea's discovery of a unicorn lair. The story was widely reported, as well as ridiculed. Today, eight years later, a Google search of the words North Korea unicorn lair generated 1,920,000 results. Foreignpolicy.com offered a rebuttal to the ridicule in an article titled North Korea Does Not Believe in Unicorns. Coming to North Korea's defense, the article provides historical context to make sense of the seemingly nonsensical news. For North Korea, the unicorn relates back to a time of great triumph for the regime, recounted in the legends about King Tomyong of ancient Korea. The great King Tomyong is credited with the establishing the powerful Koguru kingdom and is said that he rode a unicorn, a symbol of his majesty and magnificence. Legends claim that Pyongyang was the king's birth city, in the 3rd century, and it became the capital city of ancient Korea. It is also incidentally the city in which the unicorn lair was claimed to be located in 2012. ForeignPolicy.com reports that North Korea is keen to portray Kim Jong-un as the inheritor to this legacy. That is, the legacy of King Tongmyong's powerful Koguru kingdom. As such, the author summarizes the unicorn lair story as being symbolic of North Korea's past royalty and power, suggesting that the sensational plot was a ploy by North Korea's relentlessly propagandistic state media to remind the North Korean people and their neighbors that North Korea was once a great nation and can be so again. The article essentially suggested that the world had merely misinterpreted the focal point of the story. 
Seconding this motion to quell the unicorn uproar, TheGuardian.com chimed in to offer another explanation for the misunderstanding about the North Korean unicorn lair. They claimed it was a minor matter of mistranslation. It was not a unicorn lair that was located, it was a Hirin lair. If Hirin are not familiar, allow me to enlighten you uh, on the impact the difference does not make. The name Kirin is of Japanese origin. The Chinese version is called the Shilin. Kirin and the Shilin are used interchangeably. And they're most often depicted with the head of a dragon, body of a tiger, and may also appear as having one horn, although equally often and arguably less special, may have two horns. Admit it, folks. You don't get many apologies in life from those that have wronged you. For instance, the McDonald's worker who knows when they hand me the bag through the drive-thru that there is not any bag fries in there. I think it's implicit in our interaction, Debbie. I want some goddamn fries when I finish my meal. You put them in there, I dig around while avoiding traffic in the sight of my many chins in the rearview mirror. Debbie... You broke my trust and you broke my heart. I will never get an apology from Debbie. But people apologized for the North Korean propaganda machine so that they could save a little face. Since Westerners didn't take the time to understand the difference. Unicorn Lair? Laughable. Everyone relax, it was just a Kirin Lair. Classic misdirect. Move along. Nothing to see here. I understand trying to clear up the misconception, but maybe go easy on people's disbelief. One day, I'd love to do an episode on the Kim Jong family and their amazing abilities. Did you know the first time he bowled, Kim Jong Il scored a perfect 300? In his first ever round of golf, he had five hole-in-ones. For a 38 under par. Kim Jong-il could talk to dolphins and doesn't poop. Dennis Rodman became friends with the Kim Jong dynasty after a visit with the Harlem Globetrotters. I don't know Kim Jong-il and I don't know Kim Jong-un. But I feel like Dennis Rodman is a great judge of character. Like when I say the name Dennis Rodman, you picture in your head a dude with a, a level, rational mind and a great decision maker, right? So if Dennis says they're cool, maybe we should give the Kim Jong family a second chance. When I get everything together to do my monster movie episode, there's an amazing tale of how North Korea kidnapped a South Korean director and his wife so that he could force him to make a North Korean Godzilla movie. But that's a little bit more for another episode. I'm getting lost in the weeds here. Just as the two most prominent examples of Asian unicorns have two different names, there are two contrasting personalities attributed to them. The Japanese Kirin is said to have a special intuitive skill for knowing whether a person is good or evil just by looking at them. Using the special intuition, the Kirin punished the wicked by piercing them through the heart with its horn. Be warned if you cross paths with a Japanese unicorn. 
It's Judge, Jury, and Executioner. That is the Netflix superhero team-up that the people deserve. The Punisher and Kirin, 2021. The Chinese Xilin, on the other hand, is described as being entirely peaceful, imposing no harm on any creature. Mythology.net uh, claims that they can walk on grass without disturbing a single blade, often thought to walk on clouds or water, so to never disrupt the ground. There is an alternative ancient Chinese tale that tells of a sage who sat by a river and watched a Xilin cross through the river. In this version, the Xilin is described as a deer covered in shining scales like dragon skin, and most notably, it had only one horn on its head. The namesake characteristic of the universal unicorn. Sporting the sighting, another legend claims Chinese philosopher Confucius was the last person to see a living unicorn, which he described as having a scaly coat on a deer's body, like that observed by the Chinese sage by the river. So let's take a look now at how Asian unicorn compares to unicorn mythology on other continents. The African Kingdom of Congo, geographically present-day southern Gabon, uh, the Democratic Republic of the Congo and Angolia tells the tale of the Ababda. It is described to be the size of a donkey with a boar's tail and a magical ability to cure the sick. The Ababda horn was particularly precious for counteracting poisons. The African nation of Ethiopia tells their own version of a unicorn which idolizes the horn for its powers of immortality claiming the creature can never be caught because it will go so far as to throw itself off a cliff to escape capture. The horn magically absorbs all of the impact of the fall, allowing the unicorn to escape freely every time from any kind of peril. Occasionally, I have to wonder about where folklore comes from. Yes, it's lore by the time we hear it, but initially it's a person's or group of person's personal experience or story a single individual made up. I'm not here to decide which is which. I am here to enjoy the story, not the process. It's just that when you hear certain things from thousands of years ago, you can really picture a modern human being sitting down and problem solving. Like, how do we stop cannibalism? Well, we'll write an allegory about how eating another person will poison your heart and you'll become a wendigo. How do we caution people uh, to stay vigilant when our ship comes into port? I don't know, uh, look for mermaids. This feels to me like someone felt the need to protect unicorns. Maybe they had an experience. The unicorn was revealed to them. Or maybe they heard a story and they couldn't quite believe it, but thought if they did exist... They're going to be hunted and destroyed. This pure and innocent thing, a thing of light in a world of heartbreak. So they decided to write a story to protect it. They could have gone with the oldies, but goodies. Like killing the beast will bring misfortune, or the beast is so powerful you will never be able to kill it. But in my mind's eye, this was a truly clever storyteller. They're trying to protect the unicorn they loved or get across the idea of destroying innocence was terrible. So this storyteller may have been quick enough on their feet to be like, I wouldn't even bother. Unicorns can't be killed. They just heal themselves. 
the writer was trusting in humanity's defeatist, lazy nature to protect this wondrous animal. Well, you know, I tried to kill a unicorn once, eh? Arrow right through the friggin' heart. Wouldn't you know what happened? Fucker got right back up. Wouldn't even bother, buddy. Just let him be. <laughs> the modern version of this is tracker and documentarian Todd Standing attempting to get a hearing from the British Columbia Supreme Court to prove that Bigfoot does in fact exist and should become a protected species. In typical capitalist fashion, the judge ruled against it because the Sasquatch was not universally accepted by science. This is the same defense Big Tobacco used when defending against cancer claims. I wonder if oil and forestry companies had an invested interest in keeping Sasquatch fictional so that they could get their natural resources out without any kind of regard for the Yeti. It sounds like the plot to an 80s movie I'd love to see. Big corporations sending in covert teams of hunters into the wilds of British Columbia to hunt down the remaining Bigfoot population and erase their existence so that they can keep making profits. The one thing that they didn't count on? Chuck Norris. In this year's summer blockbuster, Friend of the Yeti. The South American country of Chile tells the tale of the Camioto, which is most often described as a cow-like creature with one horn, although in some stories it looks more like a cow-walrus hybrid as if it was meant to be part-time marine mammal. These are nothing like the My Little Pony unicorns that inspire adorable ideas about what a unicorn might look like. These things are the sort of beasts you hope not to meet in your nightmares. Get it? Nightmares? A lady horse is called a mare? A lady horse in the dark is a nightmare. Nah. The story goes that the Maquis, who are the medicine women, hunted the Camioto to remove their horns, which they shaved into powders for medicinal purposes, sewing shut the wound and releasing the animal back into the wild. In some versions, the Maquis planted shavings from the dismembered horns, like a garden, to grow more Camioto. That, my friends, is how baby unicorns are made. I think Wonder Woman was also made something like that. Her mother buried a clay figure and she sprouted from the ground. I can't quite remember. The European unicorn in all its forms was largely imagined by the Greek and influenced by Christian appropriation. These unicorn tales are... These unicorn tales were exported from Europe to shape North America's unicorn. Noteworthy. Medieval unicorn lore named the unicorn's horn and... Alicorn. Greek historian Cestus of the 5th century is credited with the earliest comprehensive record of unicorns in Western literature in his work titled Indica. I-N-D-I-K-A. Cestus' records reflected many tales of unicorns told to him by fellow travelers during his own travels through Persia, now Iran. It's interesting that a weird strain... Indica, I-N-D-I-C-A, is said to come from India. Could it be a coincidence that a man traveling the Middle East who wrote a book called Indica wrote stories about unicorns? Hmm. Perhaps inspiring the colorful cartoons we know today, Sistis described a pure white body, a purple head, blue eyes, 
a multicolored horn of red, black, and white. A century earlier, Aristotle had described a similar animal, minus the magical horn, sourced from sightings originating from the same region. However, he knew them to be the Orok, an extinct species of cattle with two horns on its head. Removing all the magic from the unicorn myth, the hypothesis proposes that when drawn from a side view, the Orok, along with deer or any other horned animal, may appear to have only one horn, as the second hides behind the one in the forefront. As someone that dabbles in pen and ink drawings, I get it. I often draw characters with their hands in their pockets to avoid the pain in the ass. So, could unicorns just be a matter of perspective? Well, a matter of drawing from the side perspective. That led to a worldwide misunderstanding of the unicorn. Are you willing to let logic debunk your unicorn? It's an awkward moment when you realize there may be an entirely reasonable explanation for a wild idea. Like when you're sure there's someone's hiding in the bathroom waiting to kill you because you can see their shadow pacing back and forth through the lit crack at the bottom of the door. But then you muster up the bravery or stupidity to throw the door open and realize you left the window open a crack and a busy breeze is lifting the shower curtain as it gusts in the window. Now you have to talk yourself down, like, okay, nobody was waiting in the bathroom to kill you, so maybe there was also never any unicorns. That being said, you are only ever paranoid until you're proven right. Maybe the serial killer was the one that opened the window, and now the killer's inside the house. And unicorns exist. The American Museum of Natural History includes a mythical creature exhibit which provides information and insight on both Western and Eastern cultures' unicorn folklore. The museum writes that both are pearly white unicorns of European lore and the benevolent Asian unicorn avoid contact with humans preferring to remain unseen. The world over, the unicorn represents a goodness and an aloof nature like the ultimate introvert of the animal kingdom. Do you know who takes the unicorns seriously? That would be Scotland. The unicorn is Scotland's national animal, I shit you not. In the 1100s, William I introduced two unicorns to the Scottish royal coat of arms, one on either side of the shield supporting it. Three centuries earlier, in the 1400s, King James III introduced the unicorn imprinted on gold coins. When Scotland unified with England in 1603, one unicorn on the coat of arms was replaced with the lion, as it was the national animal of England, representing the two nations' unity. In an interesting twist, some sources suggest the lion to be the unicorn's enemy. English poet Edmund Spencer published one of the longest poems in the English language in 1590 titled The Fairy Queen, which describes a bitter rivalry between the unicorn and the lion. Google image United Kingdom coat of arms and you're not going to be disappointed. Scotland's official tourism website visitscotland.com describes the importance of the unicorn in Celtic mythology as a symbol of purity, innocence, masculinity, power, dominance, and chivalry. 
The site states that the ideals the unicorn represents are what makes it a perfect fit as the national animal for Scotland. And because, like this proud beast, Scots would fight to remain unconquered. The website continues with a list of places where tourists can visit unicorns in Scotland, carved into historic buildings and statues throughout the country, including several castles and St. Andrews University which was Scotland's first university founded in the 1400s. There are a few times in history when the explorations of legendary historical figures have included the mention of a unicorn encounter. 13th century Italian explorer Marco Polo Polo believed he had encountered the unicorn during his travels in Indonesia. He described them as very ugly brutes and was disappointed to report they are not at all as we describe unicorns. It would later be determined that what Marco Polo had witnessed were rhinoceroses. So yeah, that sort of mix-up would definitely disappoint a person's expectations of a unicorn's grandeur. Well, albeit en français, grandeur. It means a subtle description as it refers to its largeness. Well, I could not find the peace of mind online, it's my sincere hope that someone informed Marco Polo. of his mistakes so that they could restore whatever wildly fantastic mental image he had of unicorns prior to the rhino sighting. Similarly, there is a legend that Genghis Khan retreated from his quest to conquer India as a result of meeting a unicorn. The story is similar to that of Marco Polo in the sense that it is most widely assumed Khan actually encountered a rhinoceros. We're beginning to see a pattern of leaning on the rhino as a scapegoat for the unicorn's influence. Sure, it's a logical way to dismiss a mystical experience, explaining it away with a reasonable replacement and a hint of ridicule for those who don't accept the more rational explanation. I sense a conspiracy. Hashtag, too much coffee. Hashtag, Free the unicorns. The specific details of Khan's unicorn encounter vary depending on the source, but all suggest that the unicorn served as an omen. The two most prominent versions of the legend as I encountered it conclude, number one, Khan believed the unicorn was a sign from his dead father urging him to stop his crusade, or number two, Khan believed the unicorn to be a messenger delivering a command from heaven. In either case, a unicorn is credited in these legends for stopping the mighty Genghis Khan from stampeding into India. If unfamiliar, it is important to note Khan's reputation as a feared Mongolian emperor included a penchant for brutal warfare, thwarted by a unicorn. In another case of mistaken identity, Chinese explorer Sheng Ho returned to China from an expedition to Africa in 1414, bringing with him the gift of a unicorn for the Chinese emperor. The gift, as it turned out, was a giraffe. Disappointing by comparison, but you know what they say about gift-giving. It's about the thought that counts, right? Let's quickly talk about a cute irony that has preserved unicorn lore. Naturalism is defined as the philosophical belief that everything arises from a natural property and causes, and supernatural spiritual explanations are excluded or discounted. As such, 
naturalism, with its intended focus on accurate depictions of details rather than superstition or hearsay, would be a field of study I wouldn't have suspected to be behind the preservation of unicorns, being that their entire existence is shrouded in magical powers and prowess. But to my surprise, early animal catalogs prepared by naturalists repeatedly popped up in my research. Notably, the Roman naturalist Pliny the Elder of the first century assembled an epic encyclopedia titled simply Natural History, which was accepted as factual for an estimated 1600 years. In this book, Unicorns, which he described as the fiercest animal, impossible to capture one alive, with the body of a horse, the head of a stag, and the feet of an elephant, the tail of a boar, and a single black horn three feet long in the middle of its forehead. Similarly, bestiaries were popular in Europe during the Middle Ages. Bestiaries such as the Bestiarium Vocablium were written collections of information specific to animals and attributed to the work of naturalists in their effort to record the natural characteristics of all known beasts. Included in the bestiaries? Unicorns. The advent of the printing press allowed for literature to circulate more readily, infusing more minds with more ideas and images of unicorns in a time that the average person relied on an oral tradition of legends and lores to know the world beyond their village. So understandably, who would think to question the unicorn as an extra-foreign concept? The unicorn was only one of many elusive animals to exist in faraway lands most of which were entirely real beasts that still roam today. If you could only rely on word of mouth, how fantastical would a giraffe sound? You know, its neck is the same length as its legs. It doesn't make any sense. Having a horse with a horn on it is arguably less foreign. And, you know, we have horses. You just imagine it with a horn. Bam. While well, many versions of the unicorn lore claim that a unicorn cannot be caught, there's one method claimed to be the most and possibly only effective approach to tagging and bagging a unicorn. Virgin bait. Unicorns cannot resist a virgin in the woods, which is a common scene in unicorn artwork. The idea is that unicorns being so innocent and symbolic of purity can only be tamed by the same, a virgin also being innocent and pure. That said, many stories take the bait a step further by saying that it's not enough to present a unicorn with a virgin, she must present a bare breast to the beast. And even further still, in some accounts, the unicorn then suckles at the virgin's nipple. It is then, when the animal is subdued and soothed into a false sense of safety, or even sleep, that the hunters slaughter it as it lays in the virgin's lap. Not exactly a happy bedtime fairy tale. If you're into theological appropriations, there's plenty to consider when Jesus Christ crosses paths with the unicorn. But here are my three favorite analogies. Number one, the unicorn is an incarnation of Christ. Art historians compare the common scene of a unicorn's head rested on a virgin's lap to the image of baby Jesus laying in the lap of the Virgin Mary. Some suggest that the unicorn's head rested on the virgin's lap is to be nearest her womb, as if to nod at the immaculate conception. Number two. 
The unicorn's healing nature is akin to Jesus, healing's ability which allowed him to perform miracles. The unicorn is said to dip its horn in unclean water, even poisons, to make the substances safe for other animals or people to drink. This is paralleled to the ritual of baptism in holy water for the act of Jesus cleansing the sins of mankind to save our souls. Number 3. The unicorn's submission to the Virgin represents the passion of the Christ, referring to the final period of Christ's natural life. It can be interpreted that the unicorn hunters represent the sinners or non-believers who persecuted, tortured, and killed Jesus. The Virgin signifies the pure of heart, Christ's believers and followers from whom he selflessly sacrifices himself. The unicorn, of course, represents Jesus. So the story of the unicorn who stops evading his hunters in the woods to go sit by the virgin, knowingly putting himself in a vulnerable position, is all representative of Jesus' sacrifice. Knowingly endangering himself but unable to run when presented all of the goodness and purity the virgin represents. The number of references to unicorns in the Bible depend on the virgin of the Bible, but most sources suggest between six to nine times unicorns are mentioned in the Old Testament. And most of those sources suggest all references to unicorns is the result of a mistranslation from Hebrew to Greek. The intended animal is said to be the orok. The same extinct ox earlier suggested to have been the actual animal Cestus rose of. If not the orok, others suggest that it was the oryx an antelope whose antlers were sold for good coin as counterfeit unicorn horns at medieval markets. Consider Numbers 24.8 of the King James Version of the Old Testament. God brought him forth out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of an unicorn. He shall eat up the nations, his enemies, and shall break their bones and pierce them through with his arrows. Personally, I'd rather think that to be the behavior of an ox or an antelope, not my beloved unicorn. It's too much like learning your mother is a murderer. The Irish Rovers, a band formed by Irish Canadians uh, in Toronto, Ontario in 1963, offered an explanation for the unicorn's extinction in the form of their song, The Unicorn. It's absolutely worth the three and a half minutes, so give her a listen. These guys also do a fantastic rendition of Drunken Sailor. I digress. The song tells the story of Noah packing his ark with the animals in preparation for the impending flood. However, the unicorns miss the boat. As the waters rise around the ark, the lyrics sing, Close the doors because the rain has fallen, and we just can't wait for no unicorns. A sad story for the unicorns, optimists theorize that the flood prompted the evolution of the unicorn from land mammal to marine porpoise. That marine porpoise would be the narwhal, the sea unicorn, an arctic whale with a long horn in its head. Technically, the narwhal's horn is a tusk, which is really an elongated tooth that grows up to three meters in length. These beasts live in the cold waters of northern Canada and northwestern Greenland and use their twisty tusk for picking holes in the ice like a corkscrew. The narwhal tooth appears to be the prototype for the traditional European unicorn horn, long, white, and spiraled. If you can't hear the punchline yet, hang on because we're getting there. 
But first, speculating on the evolution of the unicorn presents some more plot twists in the genetic mutation of the unicorn. In the absence of evidence, the existence of unicorns, some decided to invent their own evidence, while others went a step further to engineer unicorns into existence. As an example of fake it till you make it, there was a unicorn skeleton found in a cave in Germany in 1663, which garnered major attention, including that of Gottfried Liebens, an Enlightenment intellectual of importance. It was since revealed to be a hoax, set up with bones of other animals. Yet another example of how people are the exact same today as our ancestors hundreds of years ago. You want to punk the town? Let's make a unicorn. William Franklin Dove, an American biologist, conducted a series of experiments on a variety of animals in the 1930s, which he named the Unibull Experiment. By manipulating the placement of the animal's horns as they grew, he forced horns of a calf to grow and twine to prove that unicorns could exist. His research was not entirely new, as there are ample examples of similar attempts by others predating this artificial production of a single horn. Inspired by Dove and his predecessors, Oberon Zell Ravenheart, a self-proclaimed wizard and founding member of the pagan church, began creating unicorns in 1980. He was successful in engineering animals with a few singular horn through crossbreeding of goats and manipulating their horn growth. The Ringling Brothers, a.k.a. Barnum and Bailey Circus, an American traveling circus once called the greatest show on Earth, actually purchased a unicorn from Oberon, which they named Lancelot. It certainly did catch people's attention. The American Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals pleaded for people to not support the circus, calling it a freak show. More recently, and more organically in 2008, it was reported that a deer with a single horn in the center of its head had been born in captivity at a wildlife preservation site in Italy. The deer was named Unicorn, although I saw its picture and it looked more like a Toby or Trevor to me. In any case, the singular horn was titled a genetic mutation. However, it does make the case for similar abnormalities... In this case, the singular horn was titled a genetic mutation. However, it does make for a case that similar abnormalities may have existed in the past. Maybe more pervasively, making the phenomenon of a single horned deer a much more frequent sighting. Maybe little Toby has experienced the rebirth of a recessive gene. The unicorn gene. Arguably more desirable than the ginger gene although possibly on par with the blue-eye gene, which is currently endangered, with stats suggesting as little as 8% of the current world's population has blue eyes, and that number is dwindling daily. It won't be long before we're visiting our blue-eyed friends at the zoo, where I'm sure they will receive the best in medical care and the most organic artificial attempt to recreate their natural habitat. Let's recap and round out the list of magical properties attributed to the unicorn horn. Restores and improves health, cures fevers, cures epilepsy, cures the plague, cures ulcers, cures scurvy, cures melancholy, cures fainting spells, cures tuberculosis. You name it, unicorns cure. Prolongs youth, extending life expectancy. Acts as an aphrodisiac. Get horny? Unicorny? Too corny? Moving on. Neutralizes poisons. 
purifies water, contains protective properties against evil. Works as a good luck charm. Now who doesn't need good luck? Who wouldn't want a unicorn horn? With that list of benefits, it's no wonder the unicorn horn market was a profitable business to be in. With some sources suggesting unicorn horn was once worth 10 times its weight in gold. Unicorn horn traders scammed other traders and often the rich folk and the royalty with the horns of narwhals and rhinoceroses. Northern traders very easily took advantage of the European obsession with unicorn horns and the convenient fact that, apart from other traders, with boats big enough to travel the Arctic Oceans, most Europeans had no sweet clue that narwhals even existed. There's the punchline you may have been waiting for. Denmark's royal throne chair that was in use between 1671 and 1840 was believed to be made of unicorn horns until it was later debunked as being made from the Norwegian narwhal tusk. Cups made of unicorn horn were used for constant protection against any attempts to poison a person's drink, a threat that made royalty and other members of the elite particularly paranoid. It is rumored that Queen Elizabeth I of England had a carved jewel-encrusted unicorn horn that was worth the cost of a castle in the 1500s. In the 1600s, London newspapers advertised miracle elixirs made of true unicorn horn, which sold in liquid or pill form for only two shillings each at the time. Among Mental Floss's list of ten magical facts about unicorns was the London pharmacy sold powdered unicorn horn until 1741. Knowing what we know now... That is, so little of the world remains unexplored, and unless unicorns are hiding in the last corners we haven't checked. Odds are sadly that they have only ever been a myth. You have to wonder what the actual dust that was passed as unicorn horn powder was. Did they sift in glitter to really sell it? But seriously, without a trace 17th century, anyone... Missing persons. Hashtag, where's the unicorns? If you would like to experience a real-life unicorn hunt, visit Lake Superior State University campus in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. The university first began issuing hunting permits to unicorn questers in 1971. I'm being absolutely serious. Before applying for your permit, be sure to read the unicorn hunting regulations. Posted on the Lake Superior State University website, be forewarned that it explicitly states that only recognized legal unicorn bait is a virgin. And while it's not illegal to use simulated virgins, it is suggested to be an ineffective method. The university recommends that you pack the following items in your quester's kit. 1. A small flask of cognac. 2. A one-ounce bottle of unicorn lure. 3. A pair of pinking shears. 4. A large envelope. 5. One airmail stamp. 6. A nail clipper with file. 7. One curry comb. 8. A small bottle of hoof and horn polish. 9. A pair of hoof trimmers. It's 
my hope that at least one snippet or suggestion in this episode has inspired you to Google unicorns to explore for yourself the unicorn's mythical, magical magnificence. That said, if your unicorn curiosity is leaning towards innocent, I would like to spare you the R-rated experience of reading UrbanDictionary.com's offerings of unicorn. Which I learned can be used as a verb, unicorning. It's probably exactly as what you're imagining, so you can just uh, save yourself the pain. So I guess the final question of this episode is, are we getting together in April to go for a unicorn hunt? Thank you, listener. Do you have a question or comment? Reach out to the Midnight Owl at our Instagram page, the Midnight Owl Podcast, or email me at beardedandboard at gmail.com. B-E-A-R-D-E-D-A-N-D-B-O-R-E-D at gmail.com. Thank you, Kat. I had a lot of fun with this script. Thank you, listener. I hope you have an amazing day. Just don't forget to take a second. An owl at the moon. Hoot hoot. A long time ago when the earth was green, and it was more kinds of animals you'd ever seen they'd run around free while the earth was being born but the loveliest of them all was the unicorn there was green alligators and long-necked geese some humpty back camels and some chimpanzees some cats and rats and elephants for sure as you're born the loveliest of all was the unicorn God seen some sinning and it gave him pain and he says stand back I'm going to make it rain Good evening says, and welcome hey, to the Midnight Owl I'll tell you <clears> what to do and take some of them green This woman is a virgin How do I know Because unicorns ain't got time for no non-virgins Matt Simon That is the legacy of King Tom Young's powerful Kogoro Kingdom. The fuck is going on here? The American Museum. The American. Yeah, yes, the American. Yes, yet. American. English poet Edmund Spencer published one of the longest poems in English. Fuck me. Oh. Had witnessed rhinoceroses in the sense that it is most widely assumed that Khan. If you could rely on world, if you could rely on word of mouth, if you could only rely on word, fuck.
If you could only rely on word of mouth, how fantastical, how fantastical, fuck me. What are you doing, Tim? But first, speculating on the evolution, but first, we are speculating on the evolution of the unicorn present in most plot twists in genetic mutation of the unicorn. Before applying for your permit, 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 